Hi, this is James Barris. I hope you find this talk supports you in your practice. If you'd like to support my teaching, you can use the donate button underneath my picture on Dharma Seed to do that. Your support is greatly appreciated. Mm, so, um, you know, often I think of a topic uh, to talk about uh, because of something happening in in this mind, in this body, and uh, let's see, oh, let's see, how am I getting caught? Oh, how can I hold it in a in a kind way? How can I use the the practice to to help? And then hopefully, whatever I'm discovering in here uh, might be useful, relevant to uh, to the rest of of you. So um, yeah. So this week, I uh, at, at one point I got really impatient and um, frustrated with with someone and I was um, sharper than I would like to be. I'm not, it's not usually my nature, but it, it, it definitely, it was there and I could feel it reverberating in me. And it was, you know, when that happens, it's really humbling um, as probably you know what I'm talking about. Uh, when you see, ooh, wow, where'd that one come from? So I wanted to talk tonight about um, being humbled. A good topic, I thought. Being humbled and how humility um, is just the flip side when we can use it wisely of um, a deep strong confidence. I'd say humility, confidence. I see they're very, very close together. And I thought I'd start out with a contemporary prayer that uh, I've shared before, one of my favorite Dharma teachings of all. Dear God, so far today I've done okay. I haven't gossiped, or lost my temper, I haven't been crabby, mean, nasty, selfish, bitchy, or overindulgent, and I'm very grateful for that. But dear God, in a few minutes, I'm going to get out of bed, and then I'm probably going to need a lot more help. Amen. When you've been practicing for a while, you can. It's easy to have really high standards for your uh, developing consciousness, and <clears throat> think, "Okay, hmm, I'm getting wiser all the time." And then, in a moment, you can just be seeming like you're back to square one. There's a saying in. India says, um, even a 93-year-old saint isn't safe. Even a 93-year-old saint isn't safe from the mind that can say, oh, 
look at me, I'm a saint. And there you are completely identifying with your supposed good qualities. And so the Dalai Lama has a, a, good, uh, a good measurement for practice. He says, people in the West are so impatient with their development, their ongoing mm, quest for awakening. Um, and he says, if you're going to try to assess your practice, rather than seeing, oh, how far have I gone since last week? Or, hey, I've been meditating for six months now. And I, I, something should be happening here. Um, he says, look back over a five or 10 year period and see if there's been any growth in things like kindness, patience, trust, presence. And if there's been any kind of development, feel good about it. This is not a pass fail test. This is to just see in general, I'm moving in the direction of greater understanding and compassion and kindness. And when you see that you've lost it um, and you feel like you're back to square one, this is a time to remember uh, the, the wisdom uh, that Zen master Suzuki Roshi wrote in Zen Mind, Beginner's Mind. He says, it's good to be a beginner. If you feel like you're a beginner, great. In the, in the beginner's mind, there are many possibilities. In the expert's mind, there are few. So I wanted to talk about this being humbled and real humility, wise humility, and how it can uh, deepen our confidence and trust. <clears throat> it's important to really understand that all the tapes, all the old habits, all the neural pathways that you've been developing over a lifetime are still there. And so when they're activated, they arise and there you are again. And if you have this imagined idea that when you really have strong practice, those habits, those tapes won't get activated anymore. Um, it's, I think, a real misunderstanding of practice, misconception of practice. <clears throat> but we have these high standards for ourselves, you know, oh God, I, I know, I know I just got activated here, but then in time, when you feel most humbled on top of seeing it clearly, then you add, 
a second arrow or a third arrow or a quiver of arrows that says, you know, it's painful enough to see your mind getting lost. But on top of that, when you start judging yourself, what a pathetic meditator. Oh, yeah, you're some, you're a spiritual being. Then you really start going down the rabbit hole. So one of the, one of the, the forward edges of practice, uh, when people come on there, uh, go to a retreat and they get really maybe settled and calm and centered within themselves. And then they go back and visit their family of origin. Uh, if it's a, if you're fortunate enough to have a really loving open space with your family, how wonderful. But for many of us, that's where the old habits got entrained and can easily be activated, even with people that you love dearly. In fact, it's often the people who you're closest to or who you know really well and they know you, or at least they know you in the role and the the dance that you play together. Um, then that's who you become. And, uh, and it's humbling. I'm just thinking now as I'm, I'm saying it, there's, there's a, a great, uh, a great anecdote about Sariputta, the Buddha's, one of the, the two main disciples of, of the Buddha, Sariputta and, and Moggallana. And Sariputta's mother was a devotee of, um, Brahma, the great god Brahma. She was, you know, a devotional type. And she wasn't very impressed with her, all this Buddhist stuff. And, um, you know, she thought, oh, my son's, my son's no longer a, a devotee of, of Brahma. Okay, he's off doing his things and he's in his robes. Okay. And he, she kind of poo-pooed the whole <laughs> the fact that he was the Buddha's great disciple until he was on, as the story goes, Sariputta was on his deathbed and his mother, who was still alive, visited him. And all of these great high beings came to pay their respects to Sariputta. And as the apocryphal story, I think, goes, the great god Brahma himself visited Sariputta and, and bowed to him and paid his respects. And then she said, oh, wow, okay, you, I guess you were doing something really, really good. But until then, oh, it's that, that meditation stuff that you're doing, okay. So those closest to us often don't see who we are turning into and hold us in our own uh, in, in that role that they've held us for our lifetime and we become that person. So it's really easy to get tripped up. <clears throat> and practice is not about being perfect, but it's about <clears throat> seeing all your imperfections 
with kindness, compassion, looking at your patterns and seeing they're just patterns. They're just habits that have been practiced. And when you see it that way, the more you see it without judging yourself for those ways that you get lost, the more they become purified. If you can see it without judging it, there's the key, because then there's compassion for just the habits. Who's to blame for those habits? You're trying your your hardest to uh, to develop and cultivate, and still they get activated. So it's not so much that they get activated, but it's how do you relate to them when they do get activated? Do you pour more gasoline on the fire and say, oh, what a, what a cruddy meditator? Or do you say, oh, yes, dear, you just got caught. You just got lost. It's okay. You can come back to yourself. It's important to um, understand, as the Buddha pointed out, that awareness of a hindrance is awareness. In the Satipatthana Sutta, the, as I've said here before, the Buddha says, oh, one knows the mind with anger as the mind with anger. One knows the mind with lust as the mind with lust, not shame on you, but just, oh yeah, that's where this mind goes. One knows the mind with concentration as the mind with concentration. Whatever it is, positive or negative, one simply knows that that has arisen in the mind. And I find it helpful to know, I've shared this here before, that even the Buddha, after he was enlightened, um, was visited by Mara. You probably have heard of Mara, who was there before the Buddha, just before the Buddha's enlightenment and trying to knock him off his seat and uh, giving visions, seductive visions and frightening visions. And the Buddha was not moved. And finally, the Mara says, who do you think you are? What gives you the right to be enlightened? And the Buddha touches the earth and he says, by all the, the work that I've done in countless lifetimes, I have a right to be here. And then Mara leaves. But that's not the last visit of Mara. In the, in the Pali Canon, there are a number of vignettes of Mara coming to visit the Buddha and trying to knock him off his seat. You know, you call yourself a yogi, what a wimp you are. You know, you're sleeping four hours a night. You know, that's, you know, come on, really get, get on there, yogi. And each time the Buddha says, I see you, Mara. That's all he has to do, and, and Mara slinks away. Oh, curses, foiled again. Um, so if Mara can come and visit the Buddha, you know, be a bit spacious with yourself. <clears throat> and 
it's important to, to also see that the more you the more you become aware the more you're going to see i mean that that's that's the price of awareness you can't pretend anymore you start to see all the places that you were just unconscious but until you become completely conscious you're going to see where you still aren't conscious hopefully you'll see it consciously with some kind of awareness this is from ramdas a quote that i i love as you further purify yourself your impurities will seem grosser and larger understand that it's not that you're getting more caught in the illusion it's just that you're seeing it more clearly the lions guarding the gates of the temple get fiercer as you proceed towards each inner temple but of course the light is brighter too so that's part of the deal if you're going to be mm, willing to wake up that means you've got to be willing to see it all and when you see it all then being humbled actually can become a very powerful rich positive experience because when you see it all without identifying with it when you see it just as habit just as patterns just as old activations then you don't have to blame yourself for getting triggered and any time that you see that you're awake that you start to wake up whether you see it as you're in the middle of an action or you see it later it's never too late and this is a a discourse that i love that the buddha gave to his son rahula when his son was very young he says you might be in the middle of or about to about to do something unskillful he says if you can just pause and give yourself a few moments of reflection and see oh where is this leading is this going to be helpful for me or for others and if it's not so helpful then if you don't want to suffer then don't do it but he says you might not realize it until you're in the middle of the action or in the middle of the diatribe and if you can my dear son if you can see oh this is not leading to my benefit or to another then then stop but then he says you might not realize until after the deed is done or the words have been spoken and again he says don't beat yourself up well he doesn't quite say that in the discourse he says apply wise remorse which is simply seeing 
what can I learn from this? There's a sadness in here. There's a feeling of being off. And there's a, a learning to be gotten from that seeing, oh, when I do this, it doesn't feel so good. And he says, as long as, long as you're learning, you know, this is a good thing, as one of my teachers says, as long as you're learning, there are no mistakes. So he says, apply wise remorse and commit to doing the best you can in the future when there's a similar situation. That's all. That's all you can do. Not hold some standard of perfection. If you hold the standard of perfection, uh, you're, you're bound to be disappointed. Oh, uh, one of my favorite lines from the Third Zen Patriarch, he says, to live in the highest realization is to be without anxiety about non-perfection. To be without anxiety about non-perfection. That's when you know you've really made it when you let go of being perfect. You with me? So maybe before I, I go on to the, to the confidence part, uh, I can open up the chat box, or it is open, and um, put in when you might tend to be humbled, any particular situation with your, with your partner at work or whatever. You don't have to go into the gory details, but uh, you know, and, and, or what is it, what is it like when, when you are, go ahead, just take a moment. Let, let's be a community. I, I shared myself, uh, when do you get humbled? Think for a moment. When are you likely to get triggered? Mm. Uh, with my wife who can push my button so easily. Yeah, like no other, our closest partners. Uh, here we go, okay. When I lose patience with my grandchildren. Oh, and my husband, yeah. When I offer advice to my adult son again, and he objects. When I realize I've been gossiping, mm, my screaming toddler. Oh yeah, that'll do it, I remember that one. When I accidentally tell someone else's business uh, with my anxious mind, any others? We're just being human here. <clears throat> when I try and fix my children's problems. Yeah, you see how often this is with the people closest to us, you know, with others, we're, we're generally on better behavior, but uh, uh, whenever I drive, uh, when I forget to consider others' feelings. Yeah, that's really humbling. When I ride my bike in traffic and I lose patience with motorists and pedestrians. Uh, when I make a mistake or forget something, I feel like I'm losing it and worry about dementia. Hmm, I know that. When I get impatient with my friends or my wife. Yeah. So, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm glad I'm not alone. Um, and um, I didn't think I was alone. I'll just close the, the chat box for 
uh, for now. Maybe I'll open it later. Um, so, how does being humbled lead to confidence? <clears throat> when you're humbled, you can, rather than turning it into being humiliated, you can turn it into real humility. And by that, as I was saying a moment ago, when you see that this is all habits and patterns and um, learned responses, then the idea in practice is to let go of the blame, to hold it with kind awareness, and to commit to practicing it another way, like I, I shared in that, that Buddha's uh, teaching to his son. And this is what the process of purification, as Ramdas was pointing to, is all about, that we're facing in the right direction without a report card or without a timetable to just know we're facing in the right direction. And we are practicing more and more waking up. It's said that um, mindfulness decreases the, the period of time, which Paul Ekman coined the refractory period, when you are out of your mind, when you really lose it, that mindfulness shortens that period so you wake up a little bit sooner. And this has been shown. Isn't that good news? And I can, I can attest for that myself. You know, before when I would judge myself or get down on myself, I could spend weeks you know, oh, what a, what a schlump you are, what a, whatever you want to call it. Now, it's not that long. Could be, I don't want to put a number on it, you know, a couple of hours, more, more likely when I sit, the next time I sit, oh yeah, whew, really lost it there. And sometimes it's just like, oh, it feels so different than how I normally am moving in the world that it's like, oh, what's going on here? So the, it, this is, it's really good to see you are on a path of awakening and knowing that this is a process. Well, Thomas Edison, when he invented the light bulb, uh, he had to, to um, go through 2000 attempts before he was successful. And somebody interviewed him uh, near the end of his life and said, oh, Mr. Edison, I want to ask you something. How did it feel to fail 2,000 times before you got it right? And Edison looked at him and he said, my dear man, I did not fail. I invented the light bulb and it was a 2,000 step process. So every time that you fail, fail. Every time that you lose it, you're just learning more and more, oh wait, there's another way. There's a, a story I love about this 
this uh, seeker who heard about this great wisdom teacher, uh, this master who lived on the other side of the country, and he takes this long trek for days until he finally gets to sit at the feet of the master. And he says, oh, master, I've heard so much about your wisdom. Tell me, how did you get so wise? And the master goes inside and very quiet. And he says, good judgment. And then the seeker says, how did you get such good judgment? Experience. And then he said, well, how did you get so much experience? And the master says, bad judgment. So that's how it works. That's how the process goes. As long as you're learning, there are no mistakes. <clears throat> and this process of purification is a very profound one when humility does not take ownership of the experience, then you have more and more of a, a deepening uh, embodied understanding of this teaching of anatta. It's, it's anatta just a good idea. It's, it's the truth how all of this is just causes and conditions causes and conditions. And when you see that you get activated, no blame. Ah, thank goodness I see that Pema Chodron line I love. Take awareness, uh, take, take delight in the awareness that sees the dukkha. Ah, I can see. And when you're not blaming yourself, the other side of that is not taking credit for all of the goodness that comes through you. That's the other side of anatta. No, no blame, no credit. And this is where it's so easy to get caught in our good traits. Well, hey, I'm getting a whole lot more conscious now. Well, that's just another reification of, of our ego. But when there can be that kind of humility that sees, oh, I'm learning more and more not to get lost in the obscurations and this kindness and this goodness and this pure awareness that shines through, you can't really take ownership of, you can celebrate it, but if you're saying my pure awareness is better than your pure awareness, it's really missing the point, isn't it? My unconditional love, hey, look at my unconditional love, pretty neat, isn't it? No, you're missing the point. Unconditional love means it's just coming through you as grace, 
one could say. This is life's gift that there we are imbued with goodness. That's why when you are mindful, the natural byproduct of mindfulness is kindness, is compassion, is joy, is peace. That's why the Buddha said, oh, there is one way to awaken, just be mindful because it develops all of those things. And certainly you can develop them consciously as well, but this is who you are. It's uncovering, it's seeing clearly, you know, the definition of Vipassana is to see things clearly. That's what naturally shines through. And when you let go of taking credit as the other side of the coin of blaming yourself, then you are tapped into a much greater power than me, than you. You are tapped into an impersonal power rather than being impressed by somebody's personal power. Wow, they're a powerful person and you can really feel their power or their puffed out chest. Uh, that's not very impressive. It's power on one level. And some people have tapped into that. But a, a so much greater, more inspirational, more profound power is the impersonal power that comes from being a vehicle, being a vessel for the goodness and the love and the wisdom that shines through you. And when you're in touch with that, can you doubt that's good enough? Well, I don't know if life has, uh, has enough love here. Uh-oh. No, how, how, how can it not be good enough? It is, it is the divine operating through you. So to really see that, then you tap into something much greater, a kind of confidence that has no doubt in it because it's not you performing or not performing. It's simply being aligned with the truth. And that's when there's a kind of fearlessness to that kind of confidence, the kind of fearlessness that um, Greta Thunberg, the great climate activist, that young girl has and had when she just was by herself and uh, calling out the planet until finally she got a voice and a, a spotlight. Was she afraid to call out leaders of the United Nations? Wake up, you adults. This doesn't, this shouldn't fall on us young people. Where does she get that from? She's so aligned with the truth that that's more powerful than anything that can inhibit her. And I want to 
share with you just in the last moments before we we open it up to um, a picture of a friend. I don't think I share this. Have I shared uh, Patricia Ellsberg recently in here? A picture of Patricia Ellsberg. So uh, I just have to pull this up. Where is it? And um, no, we go like this. Ah, here we go. So I've shared, I think, before that uh, a good friend of mine, Patricia Ellsberg, um, who's married to Daniel Ellsberg, um, who, um, who was a fugitive when he released the Pentagon Papers, the turning point in the Vietnam War, popular opinion and they were a few, they were fugitives because they he had worked for the government and um he saw that we were lying and and released seven thousand pages of classified uh, top secret uh saying how much we lied about the vietnam war and they were running and they for four months they were fugitives until finally uh, they came out of hiding and he was facing 119 years in jail. That was what he was charged with. And this is the picture that I wanna share with you of the two of them finally coming out. And you can see, maybe I'll make it a little bit smaller so you can see a bit more. So they are surrounded by hundreds of journalists and they are so aligned with the truth. There's Dan just clearly speaking what's true and there's Patricia. You see her beatific countenance no, no fear at all, just simply present in what Gandhi called satyagraha, truth force. Gandhi said, when you are aligned with truth, nothing can stop you. There's no more fear. And that's what the confidence that I'm talking about is accessible to us when we are not taking ownership of our credit and when we're not taking ownership of our blame when we are using our purification our growth to stay aligned with what's true i'll stop the sharing now This is the this is the kind of confidence that inspires. And as you become more a, a conduit for the truth, you awaken it in others. And that's what this world needs right now. That's what inspires. That's what 
will awaken humanity to be so aligned with the truth that we are courageous and fearless in our expressing what's so for us and being humble all along because in one moment you can lose it so not to think well now i've got now i'm aligned with the truth force nothing can stop me in one moment oh yeah the universe can knock you over the head and there you are again so it's it's the dance of both of those uh i'll just end with this um this teaching from the uh, a great um uh Taoist uh, a scholar, I think he's Taoist or Chan scholar, Wei Wu Wei, who's a, a, a British man who had these pithy teachings. And he says, true humility is the absence of anyone to be proud. True humility is the absence of anyone to be proud. That's when you're not in the way and life uses you in a beautiful way, aligned with your good heart. So I think I'll stop here and uh, just see, yeah, any questions, comments, you can raise your hand, uh, you can go down to the reactions box or uh, unmute yourself. So. Lupka, you have a, something you want to say. I'll just, uh, just going off uh, your comment about uh, Greta Thunberg and as a climate change activist, there is a, and uh, the power that she stepped into. Uh, right now there, are, there is a trend, there are many uh, climate change activists who are destroying uh, uh, paintings like mm. uh, Van Gogh, sunflowers, and uh, yeah, and uh, I don't know. Do you see that also as as stepping into the power, or is there a difference? Or how do you how do you how can you tell between person people doing that? You know, with without you know, in a very powerful way, without any. Uh, and you know something like uh, your friend uh, Daniel Ellsberg did. Well, it's a it's a very. I think it's a koan. I I don't know if I can give an easy answer. Fortunately, from what I've seen, they've been able to clean up all the paintings. So, uh, that's it. Would it would be a, a it would be a tragedy if they, uh, if the painting was destroyed. Um, and I'm not one to uh, pass judgment on that. I will say that there, there's, you know, me personally, there's a positive and a negative. The positive is that it shows that people are so uh, desperate to wake up the planet, it definitely gets attention and to think, oh, there's people who care so much that they're willing to do that or 
super glue their their hands to a wall or it's been done on a basketball court too a few times to wow it's like whoa okay this gets my attention the other side of it is it can turn off a lot of people and say oh i hate those climate activists and don't tell me about climate so um so anyway i'm not one to pass judgment i think one has to be it's kind of the same thing as or maybe uh, along the same lines as self-immolation somebody doing that dramatic an act to just get the attention of the world i can sense that those people are coming from a place of such deep caring that they they don't know what else to do to wake people up uh, but i think each person has to see for themselves what they need to do given that the basic mm, alignment of the buddhist teachings is do no harm act for the good and purify the mind so if whatever you do you're not causing harm uh, that can be a good guideline for i think for most of us do you think that uh, uh, the reason why you think they are coming from a place of uh, caring is because you agree with their position? Or in other, uh, let me uh, rephrase that. There, you mentioned wise remorse. Yeah. That it's, uh, how was it present uh, in uh, Daniel Ellsberg's, uh, for example? Or, uh, Daniel Ellsberg? Uh, he, yeah. he, well, I think he had remorse working for the government and for Rand Corporation. And uh, at some point, he realized what he was doing. And that was so uh, out of alignment with his, his commitment to the truth. And actually, Patricia was the one who who um converted him so to speak uh he just wanted to he just found his partner and she said i'm i'm not into this war you've got to come to activist meetings uh anti-war meetings if you want if you want to go out with me you know and little by little he went uh, they had a deeper relationship and then he had an awakening experience hearing um somebody who became their friend uh talking about the horrors of war and it's it's okay i think daniel shares this he in the middle uh during this this uh this convention or this this big um conference he went in he was in the bathroom on his knees sobbing for what he was a part of for the last few years and that was his awakening experience that was his wise remorse and saying now i've got to do something more aligned with the truth so okay we don't have that much time thank you for that question and nathan you you had something we can yeah um when you were saying about being aligned with the truth and that there is no fear mm -hmm. uh, i found i found that for me at least um whatever emotions arise, fear being one of them, 
it's really for me just a a, a signpost on my journey that it is a, it's a warning sign saying I'm about to lose myself. I'm about to compromise myself or or um, go down a path. So think about where the wholeness is. Think about where my honesty is and hmm. take that as an indicator to go down my mm-hmm. new path. So Yeah, well, it's a tricky thing because sometimes fear uh, is when we're up against, uh, we're, we're on our edge and we're into new territory. So there's different kinds of fear. There's the fear actually in, in I didn't mention it in, in the talk, I didn't fit it into teaching the, uh, the talk, but I meant to mention about the, the concept of Hirian Otapa, moral shame and moral dread. We call it conscience when we feel that we're off and there's something in us that's out of alignment, which is, I think, what you're talking about. Then there's also a fear that comes from, you know, oh, I, as Jack puts it, about to grow. Fear is really saying about to grow. It's it's going to your new edges. So you want to make friends with the fear and see if it's a fear of, okay, this is scary, but I need to do it because the power of truth is that much stronger than the whatever risk is involved uh and i think it's true you can respect your fear and have it as a good sign that mm, okay there's something here that needs attention so thank you okay it's time to go um let's just take a moment next week is thanksgiving we have i think a lot to be grateful for um I personally have been very relieved and grateful last last week, if I can say so, uh, just that uh, kindness and compassion and inclusivity seems to be uh, alive and well in, in this country, at least to some extent. And there's a lot to be grateful for our in our lives and gratitude for having the Dharma, uh, being touched by that. So as we say good evening, may we feel that gratitude and share our good fortune for the benefit of all beings everywhere. May all benefit and may all be tuned into the blessings in their life and come to the end of suffering and the highest happiness. So Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.